Hallelujah. It's going to be a good year, amen? And we're going to start the year off on a, a new series. We're talking about building generations, and in particular, this month of the 2.30 service, we're going to be speaking on dreams and visions. So today, I'm going to be speaking on why we need vis- dreams and visions for a start. Next week, we're talking on faith for your dreams, a week after taking the first step towards your dream, and finally, dreaming God's dream right at the end of uh, this month. Coming into the new year, it's all time of... Uh, New Year's resolutions, we all got New Year's resolutions to look forward into the year, putting a plan in place, looking ahead, and that's important to do that, it's imperative that we have a focus for the year. You know, a saying that I always have in my heart is we start as we mean to carry on. You start the year as you mean to finish the year, and the idea of that is to put something solid down in place that you can build from and launch from into the, into the year ahead. So we need resolutions, that's true. But importantly and very imperatively, we need to ensure that we have the foundations in place, first and foremost. We've got an ultimate New Year's resolution that we need to adhere to, and it's from heaven. A heaven's mandate for our life, a heaven mandate for the resolutions that we have moving on into the year. Right from the offset of mankind... Right from the beginning of the book in Genesis, we were given a vision, we've been given a dream, we've been given a mandate. In Genesis 1.28, it said that God said to them, to Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and every living creature that moves on the earth. But before they could go and do this, before they could go there and fulfill their unique mandate for their journey, they needed to receive the breath of God. They needed to receive the breath of his dream and their vision for their lives. And it says in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. You see, we're called to be a living being. We're called to be alive in everything we do because we've got the breath of God in us. Without the breath of this life from God, the breath and source of our meaning, we will, have, we will be without the true meaning, the true resolutions for our life. It will just be days built up of temporal, fleeting daily events and daily occurrences. We will go dry. We will become dead, spiritually speaking, in everything we do. But God is a God of life, and he brings life into our bones. We are a living person in Christ Jesus. God has called each and every one of you here for a unique purpose. And you have unique dream and vision for your life that is imperative to the advancing of the kingdom of God. You know, I heard recently that Britain has now been branded the loneliest capital in Europe. And over 12 men commit suicide every week in the UK. Every week, a minimum of 12 men are committing suicide. I'm convinced, not solely, But a huge contributing factor to this is the lack of the breath of the living God in these people's lives. A lack of identity. A lack of true purpose 
for their lives, a lack of the true dream and vision that they need to tap into and get a revelation of what they have for their life. A character that I love in the Bible is a man called Nehemiah, a great man of strength, a man of faith, a man with a vision and a dream, a man of courage. In Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah isn't happy. He's sad, he's weeping, he's praying and fasting to God because Jerusalem, God's cities, its walls are broken down and they are in destruction. This is bringing a reproach to the living God because it was believed back in those days that the power and the strength of their God were in the city walls. And um, Nehemiah's God His walls of his city were in destruction. They were broken down. And this was bringing a reproach to his God that he had no strength. But Nehemiah was in a place of great privilege. He was the king of Persia's cupbearer. This is an honored position. And only few select attained this role throughout history. Nehemiah would have been an officer of high rank in the royal courts. He would have been of a, a thoroughly trusted man and only given to an elect few. His confidential relations with the king often gave him positions of great influence, but he was still not happy. Surrounded by these great luxuries that he must have had, the great privileges of there being the king's cupbearer, all that he had been exposed to, but still there was a sadness in him. But why? Why such sadness in Nehemiah? Nehemiah 2.17 begins to give us the answers, and you see the distress that we are in, he says. How Jerusalem lies wastes at its gates, are burned with fire. And he says, come let us build the walls of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach that God's people would no longer be a reproach. They had no home. They had no dwelling place where they could worship the living God. All that he had, but still he was not happy because he now had a bigger vision and dream for his life. I remember a story and something someone said to me once when I was working abroad has always stuck to me. Before I joined the ministry, I was uh, in the security industry. And I was abroad in Miami. And I was a close protection officer for a high-worth executive for the wealthiest privately-owned company in the United States. It was the third wealthiest privately-owned company in the world. And these executives were going into South America, into a country and it was rather hostile, and they needed a close protection team. My role was to fly out to Miami, pick up the client, go through the necessary briefings, and the other part of the team flew ahead to us in South America, preparing the way and doing some preparations out there. It was a great opportunity. I had 24 hours just to relax in a nice hotel in Miami and read the word and take it easy for a bit, and the client said to me, can I take you out for dinner tonight? I said, please. He said, let me take you to my favorite restaurant. He took me down to his favorite restaurant down in the Millionaire's Row down there. And we sat having a meal. 
And I was talking and asking him a little bit about his life, about his journey. Here he was, a very, very successful, wealthy, powerful man in a great position of authority there in this major company as one of their executives. And he started to ask me from then about my life and about my journey. And I felt comfortable to begin to start opening myself up a little bit about behind the veil of my life, behind Chris just being the close protection officer there doing security work, but a little bit more about my true dreams and my true passions for my life, the word of God and all that I believe that he was leading me to in my life. We finished our lovely meal and we were in the taxi driving back to the hotel. And as I was sharing more and more about my story, he went rather quiet. So I started to ease back a little bit on my conversation, thinking maybe I was talking a little bit too much about the things of God. But it's at that point where he went quiet and he looked back at me and said, Do you know what, Chris? As you're speaking to me, I'm starting to think, should I be doing more in my life? Should I be doing more in my life? Here was this high-powered executive. Money wasn't an issue for his life. Power wasn't an issue for his life. Status wasn't an issue for his life. He was like Nehemiah, who had all the great luxuries. He didn't need more travel. He didn't need any more finer restaurants. He'd had everything. But there's one thing he did lack, and that was a true vision and dream from the living God, his creator, for his life. And internally, he was empty. There's a man called Howard Thurman. He was considered one of the great, three greatest African-American preachers in the early 20th century. And these words he spoke have also stuck with me in my life when I read this maybe about 10 years ago now. And he said these words that I read in the book. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs now is people that have come alive. And I want to ask you a question here this afternoon. What brings you alive? What brings you alive? Because what brings you alive is a core indicator, potentially, of what God has called you to be in your unique dream and vision for your life. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs now is people that have come alive. We have got the life spirit of the living God in us. And we should be alive. We should be on fire in our worlds. We should have people coming to asking us, what is it about you that brings you such life, that brings you so much joy? What brings you alive? What is your passion? What is your dream? What is your God-centered vision for your life? You see, that executive didn't need more things. Nehemiah, there in great luxury, what he needed and what he craved was that God's dream and vision for his life. But once we get this vision, once we get this dream, we've got to bring heaven's vision and we've got to bring it down here to earth. Heaven's dream is your mission here on earth. We get the vision and we start turning the unseen of that dream into reality. We begin to bring the spiritual 
into the natural. Habakkuk 2, 2-3 says, And the Lord answered me, and he said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. There we are to write this vision down plain before us. Write your dream and vision down that the Lord has given to you in your heart. Begin to make a spiritual dream into a natural reality. Begin to write it down. Begin to make it become solely a part of you. Let it become alive in you. Turn the unseen realm into the visible realm. We've got to start planning. To bring the heaven's vision down, to make it a tangible reality, we've got to start putting pen to paper and start making the necessary steps for that vision to come to fruition. Eisenhower was a president of the United States from, when, um, from 53, 1953 to 61. He was a five-star general in the United States Army and supreme commander of the Allied forces. He was in charge of the whole of Europe and in charge of the invasion, a key battle in North Africa. And he said these words, In preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. Plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. For as long as we just have plans, but with no planning, we just have a pipe dream. But the planning is bringing that unseen dream into the seen realm. There's a story you all have heard of, I'm sure, but I think it's pertinent to us here now today. It's a story about a group of workers. And a gentleman walking by went to this group of workers and he said to one of them, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying some bricks. And he said, okay. He said to the next person, what, what exactly are you doing? And the gentleman responded to him, slightly bewildered at his question, and sarcastically responded, well, I'm building a wall. And he said, okay. And he went to the third man. He said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm building a cathedral for the living God. You see the difference. The man there had a dream. He had a vision. He wasn't just carrying out daily events, but he had an eternal mindset. He had a plan of every single brick had its place in building his vision and dream of building a cathedral for the living God. The more the dream and vision comes alive in us, the more courage and desire you will have to see it fulfilled in your life. We've got to have faith for the vision. And then once we have that faith for the vision, we've got to step out and begin to action that vision in your life. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Nehemiah in chapter 2 verses 5 to 9, he was about to bring his vision that God had given him in his heart. And he was about to bring it down to earth. And he was about to step out and take a great risk with his own life. 
He showed tremendous moral courage. He cared more about the name and reputation of God than his own needs and life. You see, back in those days, the Persian monarchs believed that simply being in the presence of the king would make them happy. And the king back in that time was King Artaxerxes. And up until this point, that was true. Up until this point in the story of Nehemiah, he had always been happy in the presence of his king. And this is why King Artaxerxes was taken aback a little bit when he saw on this occasion for the first time that Nehemiah was unhappy. Back in those days, you didn't want to be unhappy in front of the king. Back in those days, there was many consequences for not being happy in front of the king. But he was not happy. He was sad, even when being in the king's presence. But he had a new dream and a new vision, even amidst all this luxury and the great purpose that he had before. He had a new priority in his life. There was a great need. The building of the walls of Jerusalem, his God's Jerusalem, were needed to be repaired. He needed to provide, again, a safe place for the people, for God's people, for the people of Jerusalem, so again they could worship their God. When the king inquired Nehemiah of this great sadness, Nehemiah became frightfully afraid, the word says. And he prayed to God. And he showed his final bit of honor to the king, fearful of how the king might respond, of him being unhappy in his presence. And he said, long live the king. And then he began to tell him the reason for his sadness. And he says, the city, the place of my father's tombs are in ruins, and its gates are burned with fire. By saying this, Nehemiah was basically saying, I would rather be somewhere else than here. And to say that to the king at that time, he took his life into his hands. This could have cost him his life. But he would have never known how the king was to respond at that moment. But he didn't care, because the dream and the vision that God had placed into his heart meant so much more than the results of how the king would respond. And Psalm 37, 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Nehemiah was about to step out. He was taking an action to his faith, to his dream, and he was about to truly see that scripture become fulfilled into his life. So once we've had this vision and a dream, and we begin to write it down on the tablets, we begin to have a strategy and a plan. Nehemiah was a man of strategic planning. He knew exactly when the king was to ask him a few questions, exactly how long it would take him to build that wall of Jerusalem. He knew. He had done his reconnaissance. He had done his preparatory action. You see, we've got a responsibility as well to do the planning. We can't just sit back and leave it all to God. Proverbs 21, 31, a scripture that I love, says a man prepares the horse for battle, but it's God that brings the victory. We've got our own human responsibility as well to do the relevant planning. We're in partnership with God. It's not just all one-sided. Nehemiah, he stepped out in faith. He risked all that he had. The Apostle Paul also, a man of vision 
and tremendous faith. In Philippians 3, 12, 14 says, I press on that I may hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. One thing that I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul had his dream and vision. He kept his eyes fixed on the upward call, forgetting of the things that lay behind. He pressed forward towards his dream and towards his vision for his life. Nehemiah, he stepped out, working in partnership with God. Everything was provided for through the king, and he made a step into his vision. You see, the king there, when he went before him and told him what the issues were, King Artaxerxes responded to him, and he said, What is it you need from me? The person that could potentially kill him turned into the person that gave him all the resources that he needed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He told him exactly what he needed. He told him that I need passage through the neighboring countries to get to the walls of Jerusalem. He told him I need wood from the neighboring areas so I can start rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the gates. King Artaxerxes provided everything that he needed. And he said, how long will it take you? He knew immediately how long it would take him because of his planning. Everything was planned. He had done all his preparation. And he was bringing that heaven, that vision, down to earth and making it a tangible reality. He was working in partnership with the living God, side by side with him. And as he stepped out, God met him every step of the way. The king who just before had been the obstacle to stop Nehemiah's dream was now the resource to fulfill it all. God will always make a way for your dream where there seems no way. He will always make a way. And it will always appear in the places you never thought possible that it would come. But have faith, step out, and trust that as you draw near to him, he truly will draw near to you. There's an analogy and a saying that we use when I was a young soldier, and that was no plan ever survives contact with the enemy. We ourselves used to do meticulous planning for every battle that we'd face or every serial that we needed to carry out, and that quote always disheartened me. I said, why are we doing this days, weeks of planning, meticulous planning, when the saying says, no plan survives contact with the enemy? But it's better to have a plan in place it's better to have some blueprint, some map to work off. Because when the rubber hits the road, when resistance will come, you can remember that you've written it down. You've got a blueprint. You've got some foundations and some plans to go off. And it makes life that so much more easier. All the best planning in the world will face resistance. And no plan will ever survive contact with the enemy. A neighboring king with Nehemiah, this is true. Nehemiah 2.10, there was a king called Sambalat. Sambalat, in the original Hebrew, is actually translated the God whose sin gives power to. And this God, Sambalat, or this king, Sambalat, heard 
of Nehemiah desiring to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because he was, he was disturbed. He was disturbed that a man had come to seek to rebuild the wall and to provide again a home for the children of Israel. And he was going to do everything he could to prevent these walls being built and God's people regaining their identity and strength. Whenever you rise up to step out, to do a dream, a heaven dream, to build God's kingdom, you will face resistance. We will face resistance. But your plan and that dream that has come so alive in you will pull you through. A dream and a vision will pull you through the valleys of life and the tough times. Keep your eyes fixed on the vision. Write it down. Make it plain. Colin, our senior minister this morning, preaching on his message, said that he was, he said, Christians will face opposition. But it's not a time to be fearful, but a time to be optimistic. Optimistic because the greater the resistance that we face as Christians, where you face when you rise up to fulfill your dreams and your desires and your passions, it's a greater opportunity for us to see the manifest goodness and power of the Lord and his glory to come down and pave a way for you. You will face resistance just as Nehemiah faced resistance, just as the Apostle Paul faced resistance. You see, as he said, I press forward towards the goal. He must have had to press through something to keep having to press forward and press on. You need discipline, perseverance, resilience. Keep a hold of that dream and desire God has placed in your heart and keep pressing forward towards the goal. Keep pressing forward towards the upward call for your life. Nehemiah was to see the supernatural favor, the supernatural protection and power of his God for his vision and for his people. You see, this brings you alive. When you're living wholeheartedly for God, when your dreams and visions are God-centered, when he's at the center of everything we do, when you see the living God coming through for you in so many ways, it truly brings you alive. It engrafts your relationship with him. You're side by side with the living God on a journey with eternal significance. There's nothing more that brings one alive. It's not easy. It's not always happy times. But deep inside, there's a joy and there's a resilience and there's a hope and there's a purpose. Just like Nehemiah, we've got to be a generation that rises up and regardless of the circumstances and situations, fixes our eyes to the ultimate prize of the heaven call and fix our hands to doing the good work of rebuilding his walls, of rebuilding his generation, of rebuilding the people's hearts for this age. That will bring us alive. That will bring us alive. Shoulder to shoulder with the living God on an ordained mission from heaven with him. As you hold on tight to him, he'll pull you through time and time again. Where there is a vision, there is purpose. Where there is vision for your life, there is purpose. There is protection 
and there is supernatural provision. The writer of Hebrews in 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. My dad always said to me when I was a kid, Son, if you want to be a winner in life, then you better start hanging around with winners. And we've got a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. We've got the word of the living God. We've got great men and women who have stood out in faith. Your Noahs, your Abrahams, your Pauls, your Ezras, your Nehemiahs. All the great men of God. The great hall of faith of men and women here. Spend time in the word. Spend time with these people. Catch their heart. Catch their vision. Catch the very essence of everything they are of. In your cell groups, spend time with people who are alive for the living God. People who have a dream and a vision for their lives. People who aren't just doing daily occurrence events. People who aren't singing to the tune of the world system, but people who are singing the heavenly tune, who are heaven-focused, who got their hands to the plow, who are building the kingdom of the living God, who are alive to him, who is his presence live in and through him. Hang around with winners in life. Hang around with people of faith. Hang around people who speak life into your vision and dream. Don't hang around with the losers of life. Do not hang around with the scornful of the mockers. Hang around with champions. Hang around with the winners. Hang around with the people of the living God. Amen? That's the people we want to hang around with. That's the people who will build the kingdom. Amen? Let the breath of the word fill you with faith. This is a living word. Let it fill you with life. Let it fill you with meaning. Let it fill you with purpose. Drink of it. Live of it. Bathe in it. Be around people who speak life. That come alongside you like the Nehemiahs. Nehemiah went and gathered his brothers and his men. And together he cast the vision of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And they rose up and they said, let's do the good work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Together, let's rise up and build the city walls of Jerusalem. Together, as a church, we're going to rise up and together build the city walls of London. Build the walls of men's hearts. Those men that are there contemplating suicide. Those men and women who have no dream, who have no vision, who haven't got the, 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 the life of the living God, the breath of the living God alive in them. They're the men that we need to go rebuild. Those are the men we need to rebuild their hearts and bring them alive to the living God and bring them into the place where they can get their true vision and true purpose. The executives out there, the major CEOs out there who think they're happy in their palaces but inside are nothing but rotting flesh and bones. Cold, empty, despondent. We bring life of the living God into them. Wherever you do life, you're there to be a vessel to speak the dream and vision of God into those people. You are the fifth gospel that they may ever read. And you're there for purpose. You're there for significance. That will bring you alive. Do you know, in John 
4.34. Jesus speaking says, My food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food, the very sustenance of his life, the very provision of his life, was to do the will of the Father. That's all that he ate of every single day, was the dream, the vision that God had given to him for his life. I remember I had a great career, and I was running over the hills one morning, listening to my worship music and taking some time with God to pray, to reflect, to praise him. And as I ran over these hills... My 15-year career was about to take a bit of a detour unbeknown to me. Maybe similar to Nehemiah, who was there building in a great place, had a great career, but suddenly a new vision and desire came to his heart, and he was about to take a different direction for his life. And as I was running, I heard the words of the Lord clearly speak to my spirit and say, Chris, I'm about to change hunger for hunger in your life. All the hunger and thirst that you've propelled into your career. And I did propel a lot of hunger and thirst into my career to get to where I was. He says, I'm about to redirect into the things of me. No sooner had he said those words that I felt my heart wane towards the things of my career, but began to wax to the things of God and what he was calling me into next. But I find it interesting that he said, hunger, all the hunger and thirst. And Jesus, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish this work. That food and that hunger is to do the will of the Father, is your dream, is your vision, is your passion like we crave every day the natural food, natural bread and sustenance, in like measure, and more so, our desire should be for the spiritual things of God and the dreams and visions for our life. The natural bread, the natural bread, metaphorically speaking, of this age is hollow and it is fruitless. But we want that living bread, We want the living word of God to come alive in us. A living bread for eternal purpose, eternal significance. We've got to let that food come fully alive in us and allow God to impart his dream and his vision and his purpose into our life. This is the true sustenance for our lives. Do you know your dream and your vision will not always be the path of least resistance. It will not always be the path of least resistance. On the contrary, it will probably be the path of most resistance. Didn't the Lord Jesus say, the path is narrow that leads to life, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. When you rise up to take ownership of your vision and of your dream, expect, just like Nehemiah and Sambalat, great resistance for the journey ahead. But keep hold of your passion and that God-given dream, and that will pull you through. And you'll probably never feel more alive in your life. I know there's people in this room right now who've gone through great trials, 
in your life. You are fixing your eyes to the vision, to the plan that God has placed in your heart. And you know you can relate to great trials. But I want to encourage you here this afternoon. Keep pressing in and keep pressing on. We're only halfway through the movie. It's not complete yet. And let me tell you, the ending's good. The ending's good, amen? Keep going and keep pressing on and fix your eyes to that prize. 52 weeks it took Nehemiah to rebuild those walls. 52 weeks. 52 weeks of hard graft. For some of us, it might be 52 years. But ultimately, God will have the victory. And it's not over yet, amen? Whatever you're planning for 2015, get the dream and vision from heaven. Bring it down from heaven and begin to allow it to manifest here on earth. Write it down. Plan and run into that vision and fully come alive in him. You know the story about the merchant who found the great pearl of prize in Matthew 13, 45. In that pearl of salvation that he found in that field. In that pearl of salvation is everything you need for your life. Is the Spirit of God, is your provision, is your protection, is your meaning in your purpose. Inside that pearl that lives inside each one of every one of you is everything you need for the journey ahead. Everything. We just need it to come alive in us. But when we find it, when we find it, just like that merchant, he gave away everything. He gave away everything just for that small pearl. He went and bought the whole field just for that pearl of great prize. In that pearl of great prize is your vision and is your dream. And once you catch it wholeheartedly, you will desire nothing more than to do that when we begin seeing God coming through for us in supernatural ways, it is like a drug. You get addicted to it. The living God, the living waters, continuously like a deer panting for those living waters of the living God. His presence, his glory. That's what we need. That's what this city needs. Is the living waters and the breath of the living God. There they will find their vision. And there they will find their unique purpose. We've got a program coming up in February called Soul Talk. Soul Talk. I know deep down in every one of us here, there's layers and layers and layers in that field where we find those great pearls for your life. And Colin's initiative of bringing Soul Talk is that we can go underneath the superficial layers of communication, that when we're gathered in groups, that when we're gathered in community, we can begin pulling out those pearls and finding those pearls in one another. Your pearls of your vision, the pearls of your dreams, bringing and extracting the life that is in you of God to the surface bringing it more and more prominent, bringing the things of heaven out into the surface, into the realm of the natural, that you may run with it. That's what we need in our cell groups. That's what we need in our communities. 
is around people who can see spiritually, people who are spiritually minded, people who are heaven-minded in their dreams and in their visions. And they begin ironing, sharpening iron, stirring each other up in the most holy faith, stirring those gifts of God and those visions and the dreams of you out, stirring it up, bringing it alive more and more and more. We've got to have purposeful, meaningful conversations in our groups, laying aside the superficial things, but focusing on the heaven things, the eternal significant things. Find those great pearls of prize. A dream and a vision from heaven will truly bring you alive in 2015. It will bring you purpose, meaning, and significance every day when you arise. You open your eyes. Yes, it will be tough. Sometimes it's hard to pull back that duvet and get out and keep pressing on and keep moving on when everything in the natural before you seems to be against you. But keep a hold of that purpose. Keep a hold of that vision. Keep a hold of that dream. Allow it to keep pulling you through every single day. Fix your eyes heavenward. It will pull you. A dream and a vision from heaven will pull you through the valleys of tough times. It will build your faith. It will draw you close to God, the author of that dream. And ultimately, it will unite the body. It will unite the body. When we're all running our race, when we're all fulfilling God's dream and purpose for us, we will spend less time tripping each other up and more time building each other up, working alongside each other, eyes heavenward, and building his church in the unity, in the spirit of the bond of peace. So I want to ask you to this afternoon, looking ahead 2015, starting as we mean to carry on, what is your heaven dream from your life? What is the purpose for your life? What is your unique God-ordained assignment from heaven that he's called you to do? What brings you alive? What is your passion? Start from there. Unite around the body. Unite in the cells. Come together and begin to stir each other up in the most holy faith. And let's get our eyes on the big picture of why we are here. And let's make 2015 one of glory and one with Jesus at the center of everything we do. Amen. So what is your dream and vision? Find your passion and come alive in it. Amen. Let's stand to our feet, Katie. And let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person here this afternoon. I thank you they're here for purpose. I thank you that they're here for significance. I thank you that each and every person here has a unique, heaven-ordained mission for you. And I pray by the power of your Spirit, in this forthcoming year, that opportunities will begin to present itself where that vision and dream that's been imparted into them 
from the time this age began will begin to surface, will begin to flourish. Father, I pray that we will be a people that come alive in you, Christ Jesus. We will be a people who are not mindful of the trivial things of this age, of the distractions of the world system, but a church and a people of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, who fixed his eyes on pleasing you, Father, fixed his eyes of rebuilding the walls of your Jerusalem so you could provide a place for his people to worship you. Father, I pray for all those who are discouraged heading into 2015. And I thank you, Father, that you know the end from the beginning, that you are doing a great work in their hearts. You are going before them right now. You are leading them by your hand. And although the time seems dark and seems unclear to them, I thank you that you are a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path. You've brought them this far and you will continue to take them onward. I thank you that they will come to some clearing and they'll see that everything you've taken them through has all been ordained by you. That you'll use every single thing, every hurt, every pain, every stumbling block to be a stepping stone higher, deeper and further into the purposes and plans for you. Father, I thank you for soul talk. I thank you for this time, for your blessing to be upon that and for a time where people can find a greater insight into their identity of who they've called to be. And Lord, I pray that when they take hold of that vision and dream, they will write it down, they will make it plain, and they will run head on into that with full assurance, with courage, and with integrity, and with the character needed to be sustained and to bring glory to your name. Father, I thank you for 2015. I thank you we start as we mean to carry on with you at the center of everything we do. Heavenly Father, I just pray for your blessing upon each and every person here. And I thank you for 2 Corinthians 2.14 that says, Thanks be unto God, who will always cause us to triumph in your Son, Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all the praise, and we give you all the glory. Thank you, Lord.